Let's get straight to the point. You want to grow your portfolio to deal with the rising cost of inflation to pay off your debt or your mortgage, pretty much anything standing in the way of you and financial freedom, right? Well, with Yahoo Finance, you can get access to the news, data, and tools that you need in order to help you reach that financial freedom. And when it comes to your financial future, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, you've invested all that you can. And now you need to take those investments to the next level by using what every financial great uses. Yahoo Finance. For more than 25 years, Yahoo Finance has been the brand behind every great investor. They're the number one finance destination, producing a holistic look at the financial news cycle, including breaking news, original perspectives, analyst ratings, independent research, customizable charts, and so much more. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit the brand behind every great investor, yahoofinance.com, the number one financial destination. That's yahoofinance.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Hi, everybody. It's Peter Schiff. This is Friday, February 27th, 2015. Today, the government released its revised estimates for fourth quarter GDP. Remember, when the last time I did a video blog, They came out with the initial estimate, which was 2.6. And at the time, I said I thought the number would likely be revised down closer to 2%. And that is, in fact, what happened. They revised it down to 2.18, I think was the actual number. Of course, they reported it. They rounded up to 2.2. But the market pretty much shrugged off the bad news, maybe because they had been bracing for even worse news. I think the expectation was 2.1%. So they reduced it slightly less than people had been expecting. Although, remember, you know, they're going to revise it again next month. So I still think there's a good chance that we'll end up with a one handle on fourth quarter GDP. But what's really significant is the slowdown, the rapidity of the slowdown from 5% in Q3 to 2.18% in Q4. And The only reason that the number is so high is because they assumed that inflation was so low. They assumed an annualized inflation rate of 0.1, 0.1. I mean, when they came out with the initial estimate, they assumed zero inflation, annualized inflation of zero. So now it's just 0.1. And even with an inflation rate so low, we still barely got to 2.2% on fourth quarter GDP. Of course, all of the economic data that's come out that is pertinent to January and February that is going to go into computing first quarter GDP has been horrible. Particularly horrible was today's release of the February Chicago 
Purchasing Matters Index, the PMI, they were expecting this index to register 58.7. Instead, it plunged all the way down to 45.8. Now, anything below 50 indicates contraction. We're at 45.8. This monthly drop is the biggest monthly decline since October of 2008. Remember what was going on in October of 2008? This is uh, the financial crisis. This is the beginning of the whole collapse. You have to go back to October of 08 to find a worse PMI decline than this one. And as far as the absolute level that it fell to, the last time the PMI for Chicago was this low was in June of 2009. Now that is the heart of the Great Recession. So you have to go back to the meat of the Great Recession to find a Chicago PMI as bad as the one we just printed in February. Yet everybody is talking about how great the economy is, right? That, you know, this is liftoff, like the Fed can finally raise interest rates. We got the greatest economy and we're printing PMI numbers that we haven't seen since the Great Recession. Now, of course, this number was also ignored, not only by the stock markets, but by the foreign exchange markets, by the precious metals markets. I mean, the forex markets have been oblivious to all of the bad economic news that has been coming out. Now, this is about as bad as it's been, but all the news has been pretty bad. But the markets ignored it. Of course, when we were printing stronger numbers uh, last year, you know, every time there was a strong number, the dollar had a huge rally, gold got clobbered. But now, as all those strong numbers are rapidly reversing, nobody pays attention. You know, I guess it's easy to pretend that the U.S. economy is strong if you ignore all the evidence that shows it's not strong. In fact, it's weak. But one thing that's very interesting this week, and I I want to talk about it quite a bit on this video blog, is Alan Greenspan. Because I caught an interview with Greenspan on CNBC yesterday, so before uh, the GDP numbers were released. And he was commenting about the U.S. economy. And when asked about the U.S. economy, he said he thought it was weak. He did not support the narrative that is being promoted by Janet Yellen and the rest of her cohorts at the Fed or in the Obama administration or on Wall Street. He was very negative on his uh, assessment of the nature of the U.S. economy, particularly uh, of the jobs. He was very critical of the jobs that were being created. But most of his criticism was on U.S. productivity, which has been growing at its lowest rate since the 1970s. And Greenspan said that he thought the biggest problem that we have is a lack of savings. Productivity is crucial for a market economy. And what's been happening in the United States is for a lot of reasons, which I can get into, which I've written in a book or a couple of books. Uh, Gross domestic savings has been declining in this country for years Uh, And it's fundamentally caused by the data show the very large surge in essentially the bipartisan push on entitlement programs. Mm. Uh, So entitlements are crowding out investment in this country and that's what's hurting our productivity? They're crowding out savings and because the savings are the critical aspect in investment, the rest of the is borrowing from abroad. It's crowding out capital investment. And capital investment is key to productivity growth. That has slowed down quite dramatically, and productivity has followed right along. 
there I agree with Alan Greenspan. We don't have enough savings. That's been my point. I've been talking about that, uh, you know, for years. Savings, according to Greenspan and according to me and Austrian economics, savings is what grows an economy because savings is where you get capital investment. It's underconsumption that leads to capital investment, that leads to increased productivity and rising living standards. Now, we're not getting that. And Greenspan acknowledges we're not getting that. And he says it's a problem. And it's why the recovery is so weak. But the most interesting part of his interview is who he blames. Because the woman interviewing him said, well, why? Why don't we have any savings? And he laid all the blame on Congress. He said it's Congress's fault. He said it's because of all the money we're spending on entitlements and maybe all the money we're borrowing to finance the entitlement spending. That's the problem. He's saying that the government, through entitlement spending, is crowding out savings and capital investment. But what about the Fed's role? Right? What about keeping interest rates at zero? Doesn't that do something to discourage savings when you get 0% interest rates on your savings, when you have negative interest rates, when you factor in inflation? Doesn't the Fed bear some of the blame for the lack of savings when they have deliberately set out to punish savers, to destroy savings? And of course, would it be possible for the government to borrow all this money to pay for these entitlements if the Fed wasn't monetizing the debt, if the Fed wasn't making it so easy for the government to spend and borrow so much money? Doesn't, the, doesn't Alan Greenspan hold the Federal Reserve accountable at all for being the enabler here? Because if the Fed was raising interest rates to reward saving, it would also discourage borrowing, not only in the, in the, in the private sector, but in the government. If it was more expensive to borrow, the government would not be able to borrow as much. So they couldn't crowd out investment. I agree with Greenspan in that Congress has some of the blame, but I would say more of the blame should be uh, uh, assigned to the Federal Reserve. Yet Alan Greenspan is very reluctant to criticize the institution that he used to chair. In fact, the, the really the most interesting part uh, of the interview is then when Alan Greenspan defends the Fed. The, the Fed basically uh, is doing a number of things, some which works and some which don't. One which has worked and is working is a significant increase in the amount of purchases of securities on the balance sheet, not to induce lending on the part of the private sector, but to push rates down. Because if you take a look at the balance sheet of the Fed, they have bought up very large chunks of treasury notes and mortgage-backed securities, suppressed the real long-term interest rates, and that arbitraged into a very significant increase, or, or I should say a rising uh, pattern, in the way of uh, price earnings ratios, capitalization ratios in real estate, so all income producing assets. That's what's behind this NASDAQ, if you want to call it, move to 5,000 back to those new highs? Yes. And then the woman interviewing him says, so the Fed is to blame for this? which to me indicates that she realizes that it's a problem because she uses the word blame. But then Greenspan corrects her and says, well, no, don't, you don't want to blame them. Well, it's not at fault. It's actually, I presume, one would say it's good, not bad. <laughs> I guess the takeaway is if you can't have a legitimate economic recovery because Congress is screwing that up uh, by borrowing and spending too much money, then the least 
thing that the Fed can do is inflate an asset bubble for us. Because if we can't have a real recovery, let's have a phony one, right? If we can't have legitimate economic growth, let's just inflate a gigantic bubble uh, because that's all we got going for us. Now, the woman interviewing them, at least, you know, is listening to this and she says, well, well, wait a minute. So we've seen what has happened in the past when asset prices have shot up and there have been low interest rates. And does this all uh, potentially end as badly as it did the last couple of years? Well, it depends. Has there ever been a bubble that hasn't ended badly? I mean, Alan Greenspan ought to know. I mean, he inflated two doozies. How did the, the dot-com bubble work out for Greenspan? How did the housing bubble work out, right? Why does Alan Greenspan, who presided over these huge bubbles, why does he think that Janet Yellen is going to do a bit better job of guiding the economy through a bubble than he did? You know, that depends. I mean, I don't know. I guess, you know, maybe when Bernie Madoff was, um, you know, running his Ponzi scheme and someone said, well, Bernie, aren't you worried? I mean, isn't this going to end badly? Maybe Bernie said, oh, I guess it depends. It depends on what? Maybe if, if Bernie had died before people figured it out, I guess it wouldn't have been a problem for him, right? So I don't know what Greenspan means by it depends, but there's never been a bubble, right, that hasn't burst, and it's always a problem. But for Greenspan to acknowledge that all of the gains in the stock market are because of the Fed, that the economy is really weak, not strong, but for the monetary policy, the stock market would be a lot lower, how can people think that the stock market could keep rising if the Fed raises interest rates? Because that's what everybody thinks. I mean, if, you, if Greenspan is right that it's the Fed that's responsible for NASDAQ 5,000, well, if the Fed raises interest rates, the NASDAQ ain't staying at 5,000. It's going to crash, which is one of the reasons why they're not going to raise interest rates. In fact, you know, I think Janet Yellen, I, 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 I talked about this on my podcast. If you haven't listened to that, uh, check it out because Janet Yellen was up on Capitol Hill this week testifying before Congress, and really her prepared remarks were among the most dovish, maybe the most dovish I've ever seen, because basically all Janet Yellen said was at some point in the future, the Fed might begin to think about raising interest rates. I mean, that's what she said. She didn't say we're going to raise them. We're going to begin the process about thinking about raising them. Well, the reason they don't want to raise them is because I think they know Greenspan is right in that they know that it's their monetary policy that has propped up the stock market and the economy. And if they take away the supports, the whole thing is going to implode. The reality is it's already imploding. Just taking away QE was all it took. Raising interest rates would be like, you know, kicking the economy in the groin when it's already lying on the ground. But right now they're in the process of going to the ground simply because we don't have the QE. Well, the last thing they're going to do is, is, is apply that kick by raising interest rates. But, you know, I think it's also very telling in, in, in Greenspan not wanting to place any of the blame on the Fed. Right? Now, of course, why doesn't Alan Greenspan want to blame the Fed? Because these are his policies. Right? Alan Greenspan wrote the playbook that Ben Bernanke and Janet Yellen followed. So he can't be critical of Yellen without being critical of himself. But of course, he's trying to absolve himself from any responsibility for the 2008 financial crisis. Therefore, he has to be very careful in where he points fingers because he's going to end up pointing right back at himself, right? And, and, and so he's got to just try to put the blame on Congress, even though it takes two to tango. And in this case, it really takes the Fed. If we have an independent, disciplined central bank, then 
Congress couldn't borrow and spend all this money. That's the irony of, you know, the, the, the movement to audit the Fed. You've got Janet Yellen saying, we don't want to politicize the Fed. It's already politicized. That's the problem. The reality is the people who want to audit it are the ones that want to take the politics out of it because they don't want to force the Fed to be more easy. They want them to be tighter. They want to stop them from monetizing all these debts and covering up the problems and enabling the, the spending that Alan Greenspan himself is uh, blaming for the you know, problems, the lack of savings, the lack of capital investment that we're experiencing. But I want to read a little bit uh, from what Alan Greenspan had to say about the Fed in the 1920s. And this is my book, Crash Proof. Remember this one? This is my first book that came out in February of 2007, where I forecast uh, not only the financial crisis of 2008, but the, the greater crash that we're headed for. And in the introduction to that book, right, and I titled the introduction, America.com, The Delusion of Real Wealth. And this is the very beginning of my book. And I had a preface, but here's the introduction. And here's how I start the book. Before I even write anything, I have a quote. Right? And I'm going to read that quote. When business in the United States underwent a mild contraction, the Federal Reserve created more paper reserves in the hope of forestalling any possible bank reserve shortage. The Fed succeeded, but it nearly destroyed the economies of the world in the process. Destroyed the economies of the world. The excess credit which the Fed pumped into the economy spilled over into the stock market, triggering a fantastic speculative boom. Belatedly, Federal Reserve officials attempted to sop up the excess reserves and finally succeeded in breaking the boom. But it was too late. The speculative imbalances had become so overwhelming that the, attempted, the attempt participated a sharp retrenching and a consequent demoralization of business confidence. As a result, the American economy collapsed. That was Alan Greenspan. I took that from his Gold and Economic Freedom essay that he wrote in 1966, in which Alan Greenspan blamed the Fed and their cheap money policies for the stock market bubble and the economic imbalances that resulted uh, in the beginning of the Great Depression. So Greenspan was very willing to criticize the Fed before he was a member himself, before he chaired it. But now you have the Federal Reserve doing exactly what he criticized them for doing back then, only on a bigger scale. I mean, what Yellen has done, what Bernanke did, what he did, you know, you know, is, is, is more reckless than what was done in the 20s. And the economic imbalances that have been created as a result of this even more reckless monetary policy are even greater. So how is it possible that the Fed was so reckless then, but now they're acting responsibly? Now, somebody might think, well, maybe Alan Greenspan changed his mind. Maybe he no longer believes what he wrote in his youth, although he wasn't that young when he wrote this, but, but uh, uh, he was certainly a lot younger than he is today. But that's not the case. I remember uh, a story from Ron Paul where he mentioned that he ran into Alan Greenspan walking around the halls of Congress, and he actually questioned him about this essay. He said, Alan, you know, your, your golden economic freedom essay you know, you know, you know, what do you think about that now? I mean, is, was, were you totally wrong back then? Are you now disavowing the things that you wrote? And what surprised uh, Ron Paul was that Alan Greenspan said, no, I stand behind every word I wrote and I wouldn't change a one. 
So in other words, Alan Greenspan, uh, even as Fed chairman, stood behind every word he wrote in Golden Economic Freedom, the words that I just read. So to this day, he thinks the Federal Reserve was responsible for the bubble and the economic imbalances. Well, what about today's Fed? How can Alan Greenspan believe that inflating a bubble isn't going to create a problem? That the malinvestments that result from artificially low interest rates aren't going to be painful to correct? You know, I believe that he does. I believe that Alan Greenspan knows how badly this is going to end. He just doesn't care. See, he thinks the job of the Fed is to do whatever it takes to postpone the pain. And if it means inflating a bubble so that we can feel good, right, and pretend everything is awesome when it's not, he's saying they're doing their job. They're just doing the best thing they can. Because we can't have a real recovery, let's pretend with a phony recovery. Let's inflate a bubble And who gives a darn about the consequences? Because it all depends on what? I don't know. Maybe a miracle will happen, just like Bernie Madoff was waiting for some kind of a miracle. But, you know, it didn't happen in the case of Bernie, and it never happens. There is never an experiment of reckless money printing and asset bubbles that don't end badly. And I think Greenspan knows it's going to end badly. That's why he's advocating that people buy gold. Uh, But in this particular interview, he's trying to absolve the Fed because he's trying to absolve himself. He doesn't want to have to admit, accept any responsibility for what's going on. So he lays it all at the foot of Congress. He still wants to point out there's a problem. So when it all hits the fan, he doesn't look like some kind of Pollyanna. And he can say, well, you know, I warned you about it. But somehow he doesn't want to associate the problems with the Fed. When clearly the Fed is at the heart of it. And this entire bubble economy is more out of whack now uh, than it was at any point in history. And that's why, again, that's why I think uh, Janet Yellen and her cohorts at the Fed, that's why they don't want to raise rates. They know how bad it's going to be when this bubble pops. I've said it many times that this is a bubble that's literally too big to pop. That doesn't mean it won't, but it means the government will do everything it can, the Fed will do everything it can to prevent that. And that means blowing as much air as they possibly can. And that doesn't mean raising interest rates. That means QE4. But the Fed's job is to keep up the pretense as long as possible. To pretend they're going to raise rates, even though they have no real intention of doing it, doesn't mean they may even push the pretense so much that they'll actually raise them slightly, maybe by 10 basis points or 25 basis points. I don't know, maybe. Maybe they might feel that they're so backed into a corner that they'll have to do it. Like, I think they backed themselves into that taper corner. But there's a very good chance that they're never going to get around to the first rate hike, especially with the economic data that's come out uh, as weak as it has. And remember, what Janet Yellen says is, yes, at some point in the future, if the data is good enough, if the economy improves enough, if we get a lot more inflation than we have now, because she said inflation is way below where they want it, and she said we still need substantial improvements in the labor market, if we don't get that, in fact, if we get a deterioration in the labor market, that looks likely, we get an uptick in the unemployment rate, right? If GDP growth slows down, then when is the Fed going to think about raising interest rates? Never. Well, maybe not never. They won't think about it until they have to. They'll think about it when there is a currency crisis, when there is a dollar crisis. And the dollar has been ignoring, the Forex traders have been ignoring all this bad news. It's been piling up and piling up, and people are sticking to this phony narrative. But that means at some point, there is going to be a crash. 
And I think you'll have a precipitous drop in the dollar that will eventually morph into a dollar crisis because all confidence will be lost in the Fed. People will realize that they can never raise rates, they can never end QE, that all this talk of an exit strategy was, a, was just talk, right? They thought about raising interest rates but never actually intended to do it. In fact, they didn't even think about it. They just talked about it. And now they're only talking about thinking about it rather than talking about doing it because they know that they can't. But when the markets catch up with this and figure out the box that we're in, realize that we've never had a strong economy, we've never had a recovery, they come to the same conclusion as Alan Greenspan, then you're going to get a loss of confidence in both the Fed and the dollar. And it's going to be in that environment of a collapsing dollar and skyrocketing consumer prices, not just a a, a small uptick in CPI measured inflation, but a very meaningful increase in prices. It's going to be an in crisis environment that the Fed is going to be forced to raise interest rates. When the market realizes that the only thing that separates the United States from Greece is confidence, right? We're just as broke. We can no more afford to repay the money we've borrowed than the Greeks can. Our politicians can no more, uh, um, you know, commit or pay the obligations, right? that they have uh, taken on in order to buy votes. We've made a lot of promises, and we can no more fulfill those empty promises than the Greeks. The only difference is there's still confidence that we can do it, even though there shouldn't be, even though there's no real evidence that we can. But as long as interest rates are at zero, we can pretend everything is okay. But when rates have to go up because there's a loss of confidence and the dollar goes down, we can't pretend anymore, and the party is over.